Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Wednesday, November the 10th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. And we're starting off with our most read story today about how a petrol station on the Isle of Sheppey ended up with the cheapest fuel in Britain. Rats had managed to chew through a data cable at the Tesco garage in Sheerness, leaving staff unable to change the big electronic price sign outside. It also meant the station in Bridge Road was unable to take contactless card payments, although customers could pay with cash or key in their credit card PIN. Well, our reporter John Nerden has been covering this story for us. So, John, what did bosses do when they realised they couldn't up the price then? Managers decided to go on selling fuel at the advertised prices of 134.9p a litre for unleaded and 136.9p for diesel, so as not to upset customers. According to the AA, the lowest unleaded in the UK was in Northern Ireland at 139.5p a litre. That's still 4.6p more expensive than in Sheerness. And the cheapest diesel, also in Northern Ireland, was 142.2p, which is a 5.3p difference. Now, just three miles away from Sheerness, at Morrison's in Queenborough, that supermarket was selling unleaded at 145.9p a litre and diesel at 149.4p. Uh, so based on those prices, a motorist with a 70-litre fuel tank would have saved £7.70 on unleaded and £8.70 on diesel if they had bought it at uh, Desco. Incredibly... I didn't see one post on social media mentioning the bargain prices, probably because no one wanted huge queues of motorists from the mainland using up all the island's fuel, or tipping off Tesco's big bosses. Alas, all good things must come to an end, and the forecourt was closed on Monday evening for what the supermarket refers to as technical issues. Thanks ever so much, John. So it is all now back to normal, but we're told this isn't the first time rats have played the supermarket, which is built next to a canal which was dug way back in 1863 to defend Sheerness Dockyard from invaders. Now, rats were reported to have gnawed through concrete, would you believe, to reach the supermarket's food store many years ago. One islander has said they've long been a problem in the bushes and undergrowth near the moat, which adjoins the Tesco site. There have been previous attempts to eradicate them using baited traps, but the rodents are attracted by bread and other food left by people feeding the ducks and other birds there as well as discarded fast food. Kent Online News. Next today, in a Dartford mum who lied about having terminal cancer to get more than £130,000 in insurance money has avoided being sent to prison. Gemma Goodwin forged medical documents and claims she'd been given just a year to live. The 38-year-old from Brentway has been given a suspended sentence and a six-month curfew. A man's died in hospital following a crash in Margate. Three vehicles collided on North Down Road in the Cliftonville part of town yesterday afternoon. A man who tried to smuggle two million pounds worth of heroin into the UK through Dover has been jailed for more than six years. 42-year-old Michael Sloan from Lancashire was travelling with his partner and three young children when the drugs were found in a hidden compartment in his camper van just before Christmas in 2019. Meantime, three men in their 40s and 50s have been arrested after police uncovered a cannabis factory in Thanet. Officers initially stopped a van for a faulty light near Folkestone on Sunday. They then found bin bags filled with the drugs. 
They also discovered more than 100 cannabis plants and growing equipment at a storage facility in Manston. The Health Secretary has today refused to rule out making COVID boosters compulsory if you want to go into a restaurant, bar or travel by train. Now, over in France at the moment, rules have been brought in for over 65s as part of the passes they were given when they were double jabbed. Well, Savage Javid says, well, it's not something that's being looked at right now. The situation could change. We know now that the vaccines do wane and it is important that, uh, that those vaccines where it's necessary, that those people get a top up and that's what the booster programme uh, is about. But I think it's something that we have to keep under review. Well, lots of you have been asking on our socials recently and commenting on stories, why do we need a booster jab anyway? Wasn't it that two jabs would be enough? Well, Professor Martin Michaelis from the University of Kent has been on the lowdown on our Facebook Live and says that was a misconception. I think no expert ever said that, that you have two vaccines and then everything will be sorted out. To be fair, nobody knew whether the vaccines will be effective at all before we saw the results of the first clinical studies. And our immune system needs to be boosted all the time. So, so it's, it's not unusual, it's not unexpected that uh, a COVID vaccine, a coronavirus vaccine, doesn't give us a long-term protection, like, for example, measles. And let's get some reaction to the possible idea of restrictions. Perhaps you'll be due a booster in the new year at some point. How would you feel if you had to have it to go out for a meal, for example? We've been speaking to Dr Jack Jacobs, who works at a surgery near Ashford. He's not convinced it's the right way to go. I'm not entirely convinced that has... A, you know, it makes a significant difference, certainly to the early cohorts um, who kind of, I think, worry more about the health, direct health impacts. Um, so I don't know, really. I, I, I prefer the government to be open, honest and transparent about why you should have it. It's to protect your health. It's to protect those around you, not, not to enable you to go on holiday. But that's just a personal opinion. I'm not sure that that sort of stuff makes much difference. I just think... You know, that we need to be honest and transparent, as has been indicated here. That the science is sometimes a little bit unclear. It's a new disease, it's a new vaccination program. It's kind of not that surprising that, that some things we didn't quite predict that we were going to have a booster program. And I just think that that's, that's the best way to try and get people engaged with the whole program. So kind of, I'm not sure about the stick approach. It does, it just creates so much issues and problems and resistance it means that you know we have to now if people don't have any of the vaccines we have to produce these certificates which is a pain for us it's extra work it's actually a difficult conversation to have with someone so i'm not very keen on all that stuff you can of course still let us know your thoughts by dropping us a comment and the boss of faversham based brewer shepherd neem says nobody wants more covid restrictions for the hospitality sector this winter jonathan neem says they're facing 2022 with optimism despite a drop in revenues over the last year because of the various lockdowns the company also runs a number of pubs across the county kent online reports a bit more health news now and fresh support is being given to new mums and dads in kent who are struggling with their mental health more access to healthcare professionals like midwives and gps is being made available after research found nearly three in five have experienced depression and low mood joe harrison from maidstone suffered from postnatal depression and ptsd she's been telling her story. I've actually got a heart condition as well so with both my pregnancies they were quite sort of stressful in that respect because um, we, we wasn't sure what sort of impact the pregnancy would have on my physical health. Um, however everything was fine and went perfectly well and I was well 
and especially the first pregnancy went just as how it was supposed to and how it was planned. Um, however, sort of six to eight weeks after that, I started to feel extremely anxious and uh, just crying for no known reason, really. Um, and I was attending a first time mums group and we were talking about um, postnatal depression. And it was at that group that I thought, I think that's what I'm suffering with. So I told one of the health visitors um, and they ran a different group for mums with postnatal depression at the time. And I attended that and you know that that peer support of other mums going through the same thing is invaluable um and it helped me help me to get through i i did also have um medication from my gp and support through through my gp as well um then with my second son again i was very well throughout the pregnancy um but at 28 weeks um he decided that he wanted to come out into the world a bit early uh three months early so um he was quite unwell to start with it was quite a traumatic birth you know they worked their magic in the hospitals and he came home and he's now I'm pleased to say a, a bouncing seven-year-old who you wouldn't have a clue of what he went through at the start of his life um and I, at the time, was um, a children's nurse and I returned back to work. And I think he was about a year and a half. So I'd been back at work for about six months. Um, and that's when I um, started suffering with um, the symptoms of PTSD. Um, because of the age that he was, um, I wasn't, um, I didn't fit the criteria for secondary mental health services. So all my care was primary care um, and the care was fantastic and it was what I needed and it, it, it got me through, but there was a very big perinatal element to it that was, that was missing. Um, you know, the, the therapy I had didn't go into details about the traumatic birth and, you know, the having an ill baby for that amount of time um, and subsequently I had to uh, give up my career in nursing because it, it was it was there that I was triggered the most. The study coincides with PATH, a new project offering mental health support. Dr Boskinaire is a consultant perinatal psychiatrist at the Kenton Medway NHS Trust. The problem is uh, across the board and yes, certainly in Kent we are seeing that you know the prevalence and, and the incidence of perinatal mental illness is much higher than it has been over the past five years. So um, I suppose one of the uh, one of the pros is the fact that people are, you know, talking about it and there's, there, there has been some awareness and people are reaching out and seeking help. But there are uh, still several people who are suffering in silence and a lot of it is to do with uh, the stigma around perinatal mental illness. And that's certainly something we want to tackle. So the uh, uh, second part of your question was about what are we doing uh, currently? Um, so within the PATH project, uh, we are trying to uh, 
you know, uh, campaign for um, more uh, investment and more awareness in perinatal mental health issues. Uh, we, we are trying to create uh, training, which is very specific for um, healthcare professionals who are the frontline clinicians who come in contact with um, women and families with perinatal problems. Um, and also um, develop packages of um, support that uh, families can access so they can feel a lot more prepared when it comes to entering and you know um, starting out their journey as a new parent. And, and what does that access look like exactly for a new mom and dad? At the moment um, the access can be quite patchy um, so when it uh, comes to um, sort of awareness of perinatal mental health issues you know, there, there is variation across the country. Um, and <clears throat> the frontline clinicians that I'm talking about, usually um, mums and families will come across midwives during their pregnancy, or they, they can contact the GP or health visitor after they've given birth. These are generally uh, clinicians in, in primary care. And in addition, um, there are children's centers and community support uh, networks across the country where um, families can access help. But I think it's very important also to recognize that, um, you know, um, there are several people, as I mentioned earlier, who, who are worried about asking for help. They, they might be fearful about the consequences and uh, they might worry about, you know, the outcome, the impact it could have on, on their child. Um, several moms experience thoughts uh, that can be quite frightening and um, they, they, can, they can be um, quite difficult to disclose. And uh, what we want to really convey is that the perinatal mental health problems are very common. And it is, it is very important for women and families not to feel stigmatised and try and reach out for help. A woman's been arrested and cautioned after sending a Kent MP what's been described as vile emails glorifying the death of his colleague Sir David Amos. Gareth Johnson says she first contacted him 18 months ago and over time became more and more aggressive. The Dartford rep has warned the amount of abuse aimed at elected officials online could start to impact how they do their jobs. Two men have appeared in court after two police officers were attacked in a car park in Maidstone. One of them had to be treated in hospital after they stopped to speak to a group in Medway Street on Saturday night. The suspects, who were both 24, were arrested in East Morling and charged with assault. They're due at Crown Court at a later date. Some residents in Whitstable are refusing to pay their southern water bills amid the ongoing sewage scandal. The company was fined £90 million earlier this year following a number of waste leaks on the Kent coast. Southern Water say they're working to reduce storm releases and MPs have this week voted to bring in tougher restrictions. Young people in Gravesend say world leaders need to act more urgently to tackle climate change. As the COP26 summit continues in Glasgow, schools and local leaders are meeting for a conference at the Woodville Theatre. Ish has been chatting to George Duffett, who's chair of the Gravesham Youth Council. So today's conference is all about... Um in relation to COP26. So um, we decided to hold it around this crucial time of when COP26 is happening. And um, it's for youth to come along. Um, so we've invited about two or three young people from each Gratian Borough Secondary School um, to attend this absolutely fabulous event. And we'll be discussing issues around climate change. You know, it's happening from 2 till 5.30 p.m. Um, and we'll also be discussing 
locally how Gravesham are dealing with climate change. So the net zero emissions um, aim and stuff. So yeah, it'll be really good. The young people from both Gravesham Youth Council and Gifted Young Generation, based also in Gravesend, we've come together to create this event to raise awareness mainly, and, you know, tell other young people about it so they can take it back and, you know, share with their friends and to make it just more of an awareness event and also, you know, to educate us on. I think that, you know, um, many of us are feeling like, you know, we're kind of running out of time and we're doing all that we can, you know, to stop us running out of time. Um, I know our school in particularly St George's, we've had an EcoVen machine put in, which is absolutely great. You know, I think that's one step of actually making more of that recycling possible happening. Um, but I think in general, just, you know, try our best to stop it locally, you know, because if all of us have the same mindset, then we'll get to where we want to go quickly. I think all of us just adopting the same mindset, you know, I think that's key, you know, because often I think to myself, cool, you know, I've recycled that plastic bottle, but actually, you know, all of these world leaders coming on private jets or, you know, coming or, you know, everyone taking a Range Rover to a, you know, 40 mile journey when actually they could take a train, you know, I just think to myself, cool, that's actually just eliminated what I've just done there. So what's the point? And actually, I think that's what many of us are thinking. I think if we throw away that plastic bottle and recycle it, when actually, you know, a private just, you know, jet's going through the air at the moment, which is releasing 10 times or a thousand times more, you know, and I think if all of us think like that, then we aren't going to get anywhere. When actually what we need to be thinking is, no, we can do this. And you're only 15, George, and it's a it's an issue that we're told will affect generation upon generation. Um, do you worry a lot about the impact of climate change and what could happen to our planet and, you know, growing up and the potential you know, impact it ha could have directly on you? Yeah, I mean, I, d I do worry, you know, and it is kind of a worry. It doesn't constantly, you know, pound the back of my mind, but I do think, you know, whenever I'm going to use water or cleaning my teeth, I just think, oh God, you know, turn the tap off or, you know, turn the lights off or, you know, don't do this or get a bus, you know, instead of getting a taxi or getting, you know, your mum to drop you off because anything actually are small. So I think just these little steps, you know, where we can just, and again, adopting the same um, mindset, you know, and I think that's great in what we need to achieve. We can do anything, you know, if we just put our minds to it and, you know, the effort in, you know, and I'm a firm believer of that. So, you know, I just think as long as we all just, you know, try our best, then I think it can definitely happen. Well, the first draft of an agreement setting out how countries will cut emissions to avoid temperature rises above 1.5 degrees Celsius has been published. Boris Johnson's returned to COP26, urging nations to pull out all the stops to limit global warming. And a Kent house builder has said they'll exceed the government's environment targets for new homes. Esquire developments say they'll reduce the amount of CO2 produced during construction and occupation by 50%. The new builds will feature more sustainable materials and new water management systems. Kent Online reports. Ahead of Remembrance Day tomorrow, we've been speaking to volunteers who've been back out selling poppies in Kent. Now, the Royal British Legion, as you'll understand, had to scale back the operation last year because of coronavirus and because of that, donations took a hit. Well, Carl Lewis is the Poppy Appeal organiser for the charity in Tunbridge and says he's glad to be doing their traditional work again. It's absolutely brilliant to collect in person again, to see people, hear their stories um, and actually just chat to people face to face, um, find out the reasons why they're supporting the British Legion and literally every poppy counts this year, so it's really nice to see people coming out into the high street, going to our independent retailers and popping their, their money into the, the poppy tin and grabbing a poppy. 
Absolutely. And um, how hard was it last year with not being able to be face-to-face with the public? It was very difficult. It was difficult to get the boxes out to the retailers who were remaining open, the essential frontline stores. But some people were very happy to donate online um, via the text messages service as well. So there was money coming in, but not as much as what has been in the past few years. Absolutely. Um, and how important is it to you that the commemorations this year will hopefully be physical and not virtual? It's very important for the people who wish to pay their respects if they're civilian and for those who have uh, served to be able to come down, remember their comrades um, who have passed on. We're now going past the World War II generation as well. So it is more of a case that we remember those, not only from World War I and World War II, but from Korea, Malaya, Northern Ireland, the Falklands, Bosnia, Cyprus, um, both Gulf Wars, Afghanistan. We have members of the armed forces out at the moment in Mali doing peacekeeping and they will be remembered and uh, thanked as well. Absolutely. Um, and uh, this is the centenary year for the Poppy Appeal. Um, can you talk about why you think it still resonates with so many people when, like you said, we are moving past that sort of World War Two era? We still have a um, very patriotic country, which is very nice to see that many people um, remember those in their family who have served but also members of the community who have served. In Tunbridge we have a very big Nepalese community, a lot of Gurkhas will be here um, paying their respects to themselves and to other veterans as well. I've been speaking to veterans um, from this week who have done four years service and a gentleman yesterday from who's just completed his uh, interviews for the Fleet Air Arm. So we, it's all going round that we have veterans who want to pay their respects, people that are just about to go into the armed forces and people who've had members of their family in the armed forces for generations, myself included, who want to remember those who have given the ultimate measure of devotion, but also those who have been injured, suffer from PTSD, who the British Legion still help. The British Legion helps with prosthetics, um, helping with interview techniques, family trips away and all measures of counselling and, and job entitlement and employment. So it's continuing on and we really hope it continues for another hundred years. There'll be a two minute silence on our sister radio station KMFM at 11 o'clock tomorrow and special services will be held across the county. Campaigners fighting plans to close a school in Cranbrook have had an unexpected funding boost. The legal aid agency initially turned down a request for support to keep the High Wield Academy open but they've now done a U-turn and offered the money. Parents and local MP Helen Grant are hoping for a judicial review to look into the future of the school. Meantime, plans to expand Ashford College have been given a boost after getting government backing. A new building will allow 250 extra students to study at the Elwick Road campus. It'll be turned into a hub for engineering, IT and business. We're being asked to have our say on plans for a huge town centre redevelopment in Medway. Bosses want ideas for the future of the old Go Outdoors and Market Hall site in Chatham. They've been given £50,000 from the government to regenerate the area, which also includes the Home Plus furniture shop and the multi-storey car park at the Brook. And talks have been held in Kent about the next phase of a world-first elephant rewilding project. A delegation from Kenya has visited the 13-strong herd at Howlett's Wild Animal Park near Canterbury. The Aspinall Foundation are planning to transport the elephants to Africa so they can can live freely. Kent Online Sport. 
Just one up in sport today and Emma Raducanu's breakthrough tennis season came to an end with an early exit from the Linz Open in Austria last night. The US Open champion from Bromley went out in the round of 16 after being beaten by China's Xinyu Wang. The 18-year-olds also confirmed the appointment of new coach Torben Belts. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get access to the new ad-free Kent Online premium site by subscribing at Kent online.co.uk forward slash subscribe whilst on the site you can find details on christmas markets going on in kent this year and you can see our attempt at making a classic pudding from the county gypsy tart news you can trust this is the kent online podcast